Welcome to Woke and Wired, a new conversation about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship. Hey guys, I am back in the city. I was away for the weekend, upstate New York in the Adirondacks. I'm never sure how to say this. Anyway, it was on a beautiful lake at a former Vanderbilt camp. It was really cool because there was no reception and I got to do my digital detox without making a big fuss out of it and posting all about it. And I feel totally refreshed and I'm so excited about this week's episode, especially as I just booked my ticket to Aspen and I'll be going there October 25th through the 28th to be speaking at Lead With Love, a conference whose founder Gina is today's guest. Gina is a writer, inspirational speaker, and community organizer who is focused on shifting culture from fear to love inside and out. She's the founder of Aspen Yoga Society, Aspen City of Wellbeing, Lead With Love, so many other incredible things, all intended to help people thrive and find joy and freedom in mind, body, and spirit. She has co-created series of events at the Aspen Institute And she has also studied spiritual psychology at the University of Santa Monica with a special emphasis on consciousness, health, and healing. I met Gina about a year ago when I went to my first Lead with Love Summit in Aspen in 2017, and the experience blew me away. I've been to different conferences and retreats and workshops, and this one was different. The people were different. The depth of the event was just unparalleled. I've never experienced anything like that. So naturally, I got really curious about who is the person behind this? How did they put together this huge event, bring Deepak Chopra and Marianne Williamson on stage and create such a sense of community? And the food was great too. And the mountains are beautiful. So everyone I spoke to in all the breaks and all the workshops and breakout sessions were into yoga, consciousness, leadership, entrepreneurship, and making an impact all at the same time, just like this podcast. So I ended up going to Bali and following Gina there on a lead with love retreat to explore my own leadership through the prism of wellness, spirituality, and ritual. That was this past January and it was incredible. It was such a wonderful, fantastic experience. And getting to know Gina was extremely refreshing because she walks the talk and she's also very real. So she won't tell you, you know, I'm your guru, follow me. Here's what I do and here's how you should do it. But instead, she shares her commitment and then she shares her journey towards it. Even if that means making mistakes, we're all human. So in my opinion, this is one of the most inspiring parts of this conversation. But some of the things that we talked about are how Gina's personal spiritual quest led her to starting Lead With Love her lessons from running a nonprofit, her daily practices that help her develop her own leadership, and what leading from the heart even looks like. What is it? How to live your dharma and make a living at the same time and not be a struggling yoga teacher. Why you don't always have to quit your day job to make an impact in the world. That's an interesting one. We also talked about being an activist without anger or shame about how dealing with fertility challenges helped Gina connect to peace and a sense of purpose. 
how being of service and showing up can open all doors, how to become a speaker at Lead with Love Summit, because a lot of you have asked me that, and that's something that Gina gets asked a lot as well, why technology and social media are energetically neutral, and it's up to us how we use it and what energy we give it, and how to make empowered choices around how we use technology and social media in our lives. If you feel inspired by this episode, definitely go to iLeadWithLove.org and check out everything Gina is up to. Join us in Aspen. It's going to be absolutely incredible. We'll get to hang out. It's October 25th through 28th, 2018. And use code Ksenia, that's my name, K-S-E-N-I-A, to get $100 off your pass. Enjoy. And if you like this episode, Connect with me on Instagram, tag at WokenWired and tag I Lead With Love and let us know what you're taking away, what you're going to be implementing in your own life and what inspired, touched or moved you in this episode. Oh, and if you were like, what are those Lead With Love retreats and what does yoga have to do with leadership? Then definitely subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm going to link it in the show notes or you can look it up by just searching Breakfast Criminals or Xenia Breakfast Criminals because I have a vlog coming out soon from the Lead With Love Bali experience where I really share what happened to me during the experience, what I took away from it, and how it impacted my life. Everything mentioned in this episode is linked in the show notes, so just go to wokenwired.com to find all the latest episodes and all the show notes. That's it, my friend. Enjoy the episode. All right, guys, I have Gina here all the way from Aspen. I am particularly excited to have this conversation because Gina is someone who not just talks about leadership, not just talks about spirituality. She leads up this whole organization that brings leadership and consciousness to hundreds and thousands of people around the world through retreats, through conferences and other experiences. And I'm just excited to dive in deeper, Gina, with you into how you got into the work that you do, what you're up to now, leadership, leadership from the heart, and a lot of other things. Excellent. Well, I'm so happy to be here and I'm a huge fan. Be honest, like I never knew what Breakfast Criminals was. And then when I met you, I understood that it was way more than breakfast. And now I'm learning so much more about Woke and Wired that it's so much more than technology and business, let's say. So I think learning people's stories is what engages us and makes us, you know, human and connect and share these joys and triumphs and struggles of the human experience. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So before we dive deep into your story, first, I want to share with everyone how we met. That's one of my favorite parts of interviewing people for the podcast. And we met when I was invited to come to Lead with Love in Aspen in 2017 as a journalist and a blogger to share my experience. I was just blown away because, and I've talked about this, if you guys have listened to the Shakti Leadership episode, you know that I've already talked about Lead with Love as this kind of experience conference. I'm not even sure what, you know, box it fits into, but it really really lived up to the expectations and the way exceeded them because it wasn't just, again, you know, people doing yoga or people talking about business and how to expand and grow there, but actually people interested in both and doing both. And that's where my interest got really peaked. Who is the person behind all of this? And then I was really, really lucky to go 
to Bali with Eugenia and with your team in January on an immersive leadership and yoga and spirituality experience in Bali at the Soul Shine. That's kind of our story in a nutshell. And on that retreat in Bali, I just got to witness Gina, your leadership and your presence firsthand. And I was blown away even further. So I am just excited to explore your story. And before we dive too deep, my first question to you is, what's making you feel woke right now? You know, it's an interesting question. And it's the first thing that popped into my head and my heart was actually slowing down. I, when you were talking about lead with love and how these things have started, sometimes we're a victim of our own success, I think, in life and the things that we want to do and we're so passionate about. This last, I would say, year or so, I have felt like I've just been in a busy mode of like being really busy. And it hasn't really served me or the people that I care about the most. And so what feels like it's waking me up is a conscious and deliberate turning towards what's the most important, which is my relationship with myself and my friends and my family. And to some extent, there's a struggle going on right now because there are a lot of demands based on the business that we created and the success of our summit the last two years in Aspen, and that it's coming up in a couple months. And uh, I always feel like I just have a hundred thousand things that I want to do that don't get done. And that energetically kind of takes me out of the moment. And I feel that like energetic tether to sort of that to-do list. And I'm really investigating that within myself, how to create a structure within the organization and within not only myself, but other people that work with me, how we can support ourselves in being you know, present and feeling fulfilled in our lives and doing meaningful work. So the moments I feel most alive and most centered and most woke are when I, I really can detach from all the to-dos and really be in the moment of those relationships that I mentioned, the really the core relationships that are the most important thing. It reminds me just a little bit of David Brooks, this New York Times columnist, and he talks about, do you want to live from your resume or your eulogy? Is that, wait, I'm not sure if I've got that right. Now I'm trying to remember what he says, because it's like, at the end of your life, if someone was going to talk about you, would you want them to list like the biography of here's what I've done, here's all my accomplishments, or, you know, how was that person in relationship with their nearest and dearest and the communities around them that they serve? And, you know, being 41, it's like I'm waking up to the fact that like, this is my life. It's not like it's coming later. And I want to start to really lay that foundation. So at the end of my life, not only for myself when I reflect, but that when other people would maybe reflect or think about me, it wasn't that I accomplished all this and I did these events and I, you know, had a lot of fun, but it's like there was a meaningful impact that happened because of my life force energy and where I chose to direct it. And so I'm thinking about that a lot. And it makes me feel very alive and and woke, so to say, to have those those thoughts and those that in, inquiry within my sort of daily practice. So it's such a profound thought, really, right? How can we not just create impact and create all these incredible things, but also actually be present along the way and not be so overwhelmed by the to-do list that we're not able to be present with, with people in front of us? So mm -hmm. I'm curious. Do you have any practices or rituals or just really simple things that you do to really bring you to the present moment and be present to the impact that you are creating? 
I think the most important thing that I've learned over the last little while, because I've been alive for 41 years, but it feels like this last eight to six, eight years has been just a lot of learning for me and a lot of awareness where in the past I wouldn't have been aware that I was even making certain choices to have a different or a certain result. But this idea of presence, I think it's kind of cliche in some ways when I was thinking about, of course, meditation, like having that daily practice of sitting and connecting to what I feel like is my heart and my soul. And there's like that still quietness and that calm, no matter what's happening outside. So there's that as a staple practice. And then beyond that, it's really listening and sort of checking myself when I'm with somebody, whether we're on a technology platform like we are right now, or when I'm face to face with somebody that I'm looking in their eyes and that I'm actually receiving what they're saying, you know, versus thinking about what I want to say next or the point that I want to get across. And I think just in general, so much of the theme of my life right now is around surrender. It's around like moving from the headspace and trying to figure things out from the mental energy and coming into the heart. And in some ways, it seems like opposite, like I'm going to get way less done and it's going to be just too slow. But I think what I'm, I'm just feeling into it now. So I don't have like the clear answer because it's really an experiment. I do think that what happens is going to be more inspired and maybe there's less of it, but it's of a higher quality. And so trusting that that impulse and that creative energy that's not coming from all the logical places, like I need to do this, 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 and this, and this before the end of the day. Otherwise, it's like, oh, it stacks up and I stay up late and all these things. I mean, we are so conditioned in productivity and our our sense of self-worth kind of tied up into that. And even, you know, anytime you review your own bio that you send to somebody, it's like this list of like all these special things that you do. And I think that's important. I mean, I think it's a part of like how we get to know each other and we sense like safety and trust and like, oh, this person knows what they're talking about. They have all this education and this experience. And yet you just never know until you engage with the person or with the practice and you find out what works for you. So. I guess, you know, in a nutshell, it really is having some kind of daily practice around self-inquiry, quiet time, and then throughout the day that it's not separate, that it's not like, okay, I meditated and now I'm like running around like a crazy person, which I've done a lot, but like taking those three deep breaths before responding, especially if you feel any kind of triggering in your body, any kind of heat or reaction and separating the stimulus from the response in the sense of becoming much more of like a Jedi and that kind of stuff helps me be present because I I have to come into myself to really look at like, how do I want to respond right now? And is that the highest and best? You know, and I do ask that question, how can I lead with love? And am I leading with love right now? And a lot of times I'm not. And so because I made this claim on this, put this sort of stake in the ground that i wanted to create an organization called Lead with Love and events called Lead with Love and a platform called Lead with Love, it definitely holds me accountable more to slow down and and be a little bit more careful about how I react. You know, I just, I know I fail all the time, but it's like this honesty around the process that I'm definitely not there yet. And I may never be there, but it's something that I'm deliberately focusing on because that's the person I want to be. And that's how I want to, you know, leave a mark in the world is that I spent all my time, energy, and to some extent, a lot of money <laughs> investing in this question. How do we lead with love? What does it look like? What does it feel like? How can more of us look at it and talk about it and try to be it? To me, that would be a real 
success to look back on my life and say, oh, I shifted the needle, at least in myself a little bit, and maybe some other people too. Wow. What moved me the most just now, what you said, is that idea of we are learning, we are failing, and the reason why you are doing the work you're doing, because first of all, it's reminding you to be accountable. And that's so profound. And that's exactly the reason why I am personally drawn to your work and to your style of leadership is because you don't go up there and pretend that you already have all the answers. You're very open, you're present, you're honest, and you say, okay, you know, let's explore this together. Here's what I think will work, but we'll try out. So I really respect that about you and look up to that and learning a lot from that. Well, I thank you for that. I mean, I feel like I had this complex, especially in college, I got super ignited by like social change and wanted to save the environment, save the world. And when I heard about injustices going on in the world, I just like, I honestly couldn't believe it. I grew up in a gated community in Orange County, California. And I would say I had a fairly idyllic upbringing where I had two parents that loved me, that I had stability. I played team sports. I had like a really nice time growing up. And then I went off to college and I started taking courses in sociology and just like learning more about the wider world. And I was completely shocked of like, what are we doing? Like, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And so I became like the quintessential angry activist. Like I couldn't stand Mm. anybody who wasn't like doing everything that they could do to save the environment in particular, but just even with children and, you know, human rights violations and things like that. It took me a really long time to kind of unpack that and get into a space of being active without being fueled by upset, anger, shame, or guilt. And it still creeps in and I feel it as like a, it's like a, it's a different kind of fuel. It's, it's definitely fuel. And I would say a lot of us in the world are fueled by that kind of energy, anger, guilt, shame, like not enoughness, let's say. Through my work at University of Santa Monica, I spent three years there in a master's program. And it was just education and loving, like, how can you lead with love, really? And it helped me shift that perception of just trying to be a conduit, really, really focusing on myself and my own energy and my own actions. And then seeing if, you know, through that intention over time toward a certain result, if I can shift things, you know, and I I feel happier. Let me just say that for one, to be fueled by like love and the energy of love. And then secondly, I think it's more effective and I think it's more sustainable, just like renewable energy. It's like I'm fueled by that light of life versus, you know, some of that anger and upset. And we've all had a chance to look at that. I think recently there's so much division and so much stuff in our face that's really triggering. And then you have to take that choice of like, okay, am I going to react out of this fear position? Or can I somehow find like, what do I love that I want to stand up for versus what do I hate or dislike and I want to fight against? So that shift has been pretty profound for me in the last few years. And it's inspiring. I mean, it gives me a lot of hope. How do you think anyone, you know, listening to this, how can we get in touch with and get present to where is this coming from? What am I fueled by? Is Do you think it's just meditation? Or how did you personally get in touch with that fuel and, and really see where that comes from? I mean, that's a great question, because you kind of go, well, great, how do I do that? I have the best luck, I guess, or the best result with what is called somatic experiencing. And because I teach yoga, and I'm a practitioner, I am you know, aware of my body and the sensations in my body. And so 
for me, it's really an inquiry into like, where am I feeling that? Like, is it feeling tight and constricted or do I feel like really loose, like clean flowing energy? And I have to say, it's pretty obvious. I think when you're feeling constricted and you're feeling kind of blocked and it's like a terrible feeling and that natural impulse is like, let me, let me release that pressure. And so that's when you kind of can get into these outbursts of negativity because it's like, you want to clear that block that like tightness in your body. And so I think, I mean, I know for myself, it's really an embodied experience of understanding where am I feeling this in my body? And you can, there's a lot more, you know, through the the psychological practices that I I was trained in through this program in, in spiritual psychology. But I think that's really the easiest one. And then secondly, is the work of Byron Katie. I think about that quite a bit. And I don't go through like the whole worksheet, but basically she's a, a teacher, a spiritual teacher, and her platform is called The Work. And you work through these four questions. And one of the questions is, who, who would you be without this story? So if I'm making somebody wrong and I want to be right, I, it's a number one like red flag that I'm in the ego. Because anytime you're in that righteous state, it's like you're, you're making somebody wrong. So I do have that awareness, too, if I'm looking at a situation going like, this is so wrong, you're so wrong. And it's hard not to have that orientation in this life because you look at terrible things like sex slavery and, you know, to the extreme starvation and child marriage. And that is clearly wrong. And yet, like if I am in that space of wrongness and judgment, I don't have as much of that clean energy power to do something about it than if I could just be fueled by a love for those children and say, I love, you know, these children so much that I'm going to sign these petitions or donate this money or start a campaign in my town or do something that is fueled by love versus this againstness and wrongness that it's it's really to me a very energetic flow it's like is it open or closed is it light or heavy and i try to go towards that lighter stuff and again certainly doesn't happen all the time and especially in my most personal life you know where i'm most invested it's the hardest for me with my husband in particular you know and i think it's the same with kids and things like that parents that we have the hardest time sort of holding these principles with with those relationships but that is why they're here I mean, those relationships are the mirror to see where you're at in that, let's say, a scale from fear to love or light to dark or constriction to expansion. You start to become really curious about yourself and use it like as an experiment. Have you always been a really curious person? And have you always been connected to something more than just, you know, this physical reality growing up? No, I mean, I was always I was really I think I was kind of my mom would say like, I marched to the beat of my own drummer. And I think that's kind of a statement that still is accurate for me. It's like, I was never sort of like in the status quo. I was always questioning things like, why would this be happening? Why would they be doing that? And so definitely an innate sense of curiosity. And I was really lucky, again, like I shared with growing up, you know, I didn't have a ton of hardship. And so I had this natural kind of joyfulness about life and this like, I was just mesmerized by nature and beauty. And it wasn't until later on that I had some personal challenges that kind of woke me up to like, whoa, like I had no tools for if anything wasn't going my way or if I didn't feel happy because I felt pretty, you know, pretty happy growing up. So it, it was a huge wake up call for me in my 30s to kind of face some difficulties and struggle and look for some answers and note that I didn't have it. I didn't have any tools. I didn't have any awareness. 
I think the first thing that kind of became a tool for me was the yoga practice, which I started in my mid to late 20s. So it was kind of later. But that became sort of a, an anchor point for me to have that practice that I knew if I wasn't feeling great or I had a lot of questions that I just knew enough to go to the class and just try to, you know, work through some stuff. And I didn't get into meditation until, you know, five years ago, maybe. So having some tools have, have helped me a lot. And then that question that you asked about something kind of bigger than myself, you know, that's a real recent revelation for me to have anything that I really, truly trusted that was beyond myself, that I would call spirit or God or universe. And that's probably the most profound thing that has happened to me in the last five years or so is having a relationship with, with that. And I found that through, you know, the self-inquiry and the meditative practice of knowing like there is something here that's not my mind and my ego and my personality. It's like this ever-present lightness and something that felt so solid. Like if I were to sit and to give myself the space, it was always there, it is always there. And I like, I can't shake it now that I, I got it. It's like, it's there for me in a way that I think a lot of people have with their religion. I didn't grow up that way. So I never had that. And I was sort of jealous about it. When I was younger, I tried to join all these like youth clubs for Jesus or God or whatever. And I just always felt like such a fraud. I was like, I don't, this doesn't feel real to me. I don't, doesn't resonate with me. I even went to like church camp and got like blessed and did all these weird things that was just like to fit in, I think. And I never, ever felt like it was for me until the experience of, you know, kind of claiming it for myself, putting my my own name on it and, and, and building a relationship. And uh, that's been pretty cool. Was it a specific moment in time when you connected to that force? Or was it kind of uh, an unfolding that took place over years? You know, it's funny, I'm sure there was like a, a moment that it was like more, like stronger than ever before, where I sort of turned toward it. But when I look back, and I feel into it, you know, it was really this process of, of going through this school um, for three years, and the program in spiritual psychology, And I started very skeptical and like almost was just like making fun of the program. It was so like, it felt really cheesy. But then after like letting my guard down a little bit, it's like I could settle into this space of like feeling held and feeling surrounded by a community that felt actually extremely authentic and loving and pure and kind and wonderful. And so it was a process of kind of letting my guard down and you know, honestly, it's like I had to hit the bottom, I had to hit the the wall for me, which was around fertility. And I've shared this with you, probably in circles and things like that. But that process of wanting to have children in my early 30s, and then now all the way through my early 40s, of like wanting something and, and I guess I, I shared, I never really had had that struggle before growing up. It's sort of like I was flowing through life in kind of a nice way. And so I hit this wall in my early 30s of very clearly wanting to move into the next phase of life. I got married. I was like, okay, I really want to have kids. And everyone around me was having kids. And that was sort of like the wave that I was on. And through literally seven or eight years of not able to have children, not able to adopt, not able to have IVF successfully, and just putting my body through things that I didn't want to, but I felt like I sort of sacrificed my own, I don't know, almost like my own best interest to do something 
it was like I needed that. It was like the means didn't justify the end mm-hmm. in some cases, but I was doing it. I was so like driven to, to do whatever I needed to do. And I totally got lost. Like I got lost of myself. So being lost, I think, is so often how some people find that spiritual connection. It's a lot through AA for people that have, you know, really gone down the tube with alcohol or drugs. It's like you latch onto something, go, oh my God, I need something to give me hope, to get me out of this hole. And I was in a hole, like a sad place, because I just was so upset, really, that I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do. And it feels like it broke me. And then I hit the the ground and and I just looked up and go like, what's here for me? Because I couldn't count on myself. I couldn't count on science. I couldn't count on the people around me were not able to help me feel better. And that's, you know, like literally when I see the light, I go, I'm not alone. Like nobody's punishing me. There's so much here for me, such a gift. And it took many, many, many years. And so I think it's like a really, it's a long, arduous process in some ways for me to find that space of peace. And I would say the biggest lesson I learned was that of acceptance, surrender. And then I think what's most profound is this internal reference. So instead of being externally referenced by like, if this happens and this happens and this happens, then I'm I'm okay and I can be happy and feel good. But if that doesn't happen, then I'm totally just thrown off. It's like if you can be internally referenced and where you know that you are whole, you're complete, you're, you can be happy and satisfied and just joyful, regardless of the outside circumstances, that is true freedom. Mm. And I couldn't have gotten that with a kid. If I had a kid or four kids, I would have never learned this lesson, this most profound truth that lives inside of me as a knowing that I'm okay. And it doesn't matter what happens on the outside. And I, I'll never forget it, you know, no matter what happens, because I lived it. And I, I, I struggled through it for many years. I so resonate with having your guard up. You know, I'm I'm the same. Mm-hmm. I tend to be, even though I'm very curious, I've always been into spiritual things and have been reading self-help books since I was probably 14. There's mm-hmm. still part of me when I walk into a new seminar or a new workshop, there's this, not sarcastic, but this very guarded part of me that mm-hmm. I guess behind the wall of judgment, there's really... The fear, the fear of being exposed, fear of being vulnerable, fear of really connecting and being seen. So I, I really resonate with what you just said. And, you know, what I'm curious about is when we go through these major personal development leaps and spiritual awakenings, we come out on the other side or the same side, however mm-hmm. we view the universe, right? And, and then you're like, okay, so what do I do now with my career, with my job? You know, mm-hmm. how do I bring this totally new understanding of the world, of my purpose, of who I am and what fulfills me, and how do I translate into work? So what was your story here? Because I know that, like me, you also come from the media world. So what was your journey in terms of career, and how did your personal spiritual revelations inform that? I mean, I think that's such an interesting area of inquiry for all of us. And, you know, for me, I was a journalist. For many years, and then I had a car accident where somebody crashed into me here in Aspen, and I got a concussion, and it it kind of made it really, really, really difficult for me to continue in that career at that time. And the only thing that made me feel better was going to yoga, and it was kind of like what got me back into yoga. I had done a practice a little bit, but then I just got like really committed. I ended up quitting my job and going off to uh, Bikram yoga training of all things, because that was the only thing around back then. So I call that the gateway drug for me. 
And then I came back and became a yoga teacher. And then I was doing massage therapy and I was bartending on the side, like in this area of Aspen. So many of us were working like three, four jobs, whatever, just craziness to, to make it. It's a very expensive place. And that wasn't really fulfilling. It took the art and the beautiful practice of yoga and it turned it into like something I was just like slaving over. And I think a lot of my friends that are teachers really struggle with how to make a living doing that thing that you feel kind of dharmically called to do. It's like, I love, love teaching, but it's like, it's not a great way to make a living. I shifted into sort of this nonprofit world of doing these kind of social ventures Aspen Yoga Society, Aspen City of Wellbeing, and then finally now Lead with Love because I, I have my basic needs met through my marriage. And so I just I'm really open with that because the truth is if I was doing what I'm doing now and I needed to make a living at it, I would be living on the street. And at least the way I've been doing it up until now. Mm-hmm. So I have a like I have a safety net that a lot of people don't have. And I think sometimes that opens me up for I think criticism and things like that too. But for the most part, it's like, I feel so grateful and lucky, like I can channel all of my life energy into these projects that for me are so important for my own growth and evolution. And then what I hope is like, some kind of inspiration and potential transformation for other people. So I feel really um, honored and, and, and blessed about that. But your question, I would say for the majority of people is like how to take this deep spiritual practice and the things that mean the most to you and not put it off to the side when you have, you know, so little time in between, let's say your work life. And then if you have kids in a home life, it, it leaves this like super narrow slice, maybe that you can meditate if you're lucky 30 minutes a day, and you get that connection. What I always say, and, and again, I have to be really transparent that I haven't had to make this choice. But there's so many people that have gotten inspired by yoga and some of these self help kind of things through Deepak or whatever it is. And you get super jazzed and it's like, I want to quit my corporate job and I want to go be a life coach and I want to go be a yoga teacher. And now, and and then there becomes this like martyrdom of like, I can't make it. And everybody's like suffering as these like life coaches and yoga teachers because there's a zillion of them. And I think that that's a really interesting place that we're at. And one, like, I feel like it's not everybody's true calling to be a life coach or or a yoga teacher, even though you've been affected by those practices, like I have. And I think it's a wonderful thing to do. I have a coach. And I always thought that was like some weirdo thing, but it's like the best thing I've invested in is is coaching. But people that are like lawyers and doctors and teachers, and they're like, they're so inspired by yoga and or life coaching type things, because I feel like that's where a lot of the spiritual world is. It's not religious, and or it's it could be spiritual and religious. But my experiences with like as all these people that want to be life coaches, for, for instance, they're so inspired. They want to help people. I am so like strongly an advocate for them to stay in their jobs of corporate world and to bring the light there. Like if everybody who has these desires to learn more about themselves and to evolve and to be more conscious, if they all exit the corporate world. Then we're left with like that super dark structure of mm-hmm. hierarchy and us against them and all the stuff we've seen through the years. I just had a call earlier with the president CEO of the group Conscious Capitalism, and it's so inspiring. We're going to feature them at Lead with Love. And it's just really about a bunch of CEOs that got together and said, we want to do things differently. We don't want to live in this same hierarchy model. Like we want to do things where we feel, you know, more balanced in our life and our work. And I so admire that. And so I think the answer of the question of like, how do you marry that spirituality and work and 
that inspiration that you might find on the yoga mat with, you know, the work that you've chosen to do or that you feel like you have to do to make a living. It's like bring the light wherever you are. And if that spiritual energy is alive inside of you, it shouldn't matter where you are. And as a matter of fact, I think it's way more needed in those fields that in some ways are more challenging for us that are more, you know, let's say spiritually oriented, that that's a a ministry, you know, in some ways. And to wake up every day and to be of service is the highest, I think, calling that we can all do is to look at God, universe, spirit, and say, how can you use me today to be of the greatest service to humanity, to life? And it's certainly not easy. It's way better. Like, it's way more fun to, like, be with all the yogis. And, you know, if you go to, like, Wanderlust or I was just at Telluride Yoga Fest, it's like it feels so good to be with like-minded people that kind of are, like, really loving and caring and you want to be around that more. But if you can't make a living there, it's nobody's fault but yours. And you got to like, I think, really take a lot of responsibility for the gifts that you have and where they might be of of most use. Totally. I think that's such a such a powerful reminder that, first of all, don't quit your job right away when you discover yoga and fall in love with it. But maybe keep your job and just keep growing in your practice, keep applying it to your life. And it's not like your job becomes evil. It can actually be fuel (laughs) for us to explore more, go on more retreats, take more workshops. And, you know, to the point of your situation and, and the fact that you don't have to choose between one thing one thing or the other because of the situation you're in, you know, my personal understanding and, and intuition into it is that, well, first of all, the more aligned we are with our true path, the more universe is going to support us. I know that so- that might sound woo-woo to someone, but mm-hmm. that's just how it has been for me. So I speak from experience, 100%. It's always like that. And again, I'm not saying it's easy, but the more aligned and true to our calling we are, the more we're going to be supported. And in your case, the reason why you've been given the foundation and the platform to not have to worry about having three jobs and running around teaching yoga classes all around town is because you actually have the capacity and the container to do something that is so much bigger than you. You know, having the foundation that you had, how many people actually take it and use it to create a huge annual event, bringing hundreds of thought leaders together to talk about leading with love? I bet not that many. So, yeah, and I think, I mean, I, I, I really appreciate that too. And it's taken me a long time to sort of own the situation and really use, utilize it and go, wow, there's no mistake why you're here, Gina, without like feeling this pressure of like, oh, you got to go do something. Mm. But the, the thing that fueled the movement is my awareness of what it was like to be working three jobs and to see all these people around me in Aspen in particular, as you can imagine, like the haves and have nots is like so in your face. It's one of the, you know, teeniest little towns with the largest concentration of wealth and power, especially, you know, in these peak seasons. And so you become almost like a servant to these, you know, I don't know, just the energy of like the wealthy people. And and some people with a lot of money are amazing and doing amazing things. And some people are not. And that's, you know, money doesn't come with instructions. But I've been really inspired by a lot of people I've met that are, are super wealthy and just deploying that wealth and their influence and power towards helping the environment, helping people. And so I'm like all for it. The more money that people can make, the better, especially people that have that kind of consciousness. But when I was working as a reporter and I was doing massage therapy on the side and I was bartending and I was riding the bus late into the night and I was so tired. That really was that seed of awareness 
that helped me to start the social enterprise city of well-being, where now we have like 25 different programs running in our community, where we as now we're lead with love, we changed our name, but we are doing the same programs. We go into the workplace and support people that would never be able to make it to a yoga class or, you know, they don't have the time or the money. And so I think it's so curious, like about life, like I would have never, ever expected that I could be someone that could really give that gift because I was one of those yoga teachers that was struggling. And now we hire them and we give them, you know, a good wage to go in and do this work where they get to touch people's lives in the way that they wouldn't be able to. And, you know, we teach yoga in the jail and for the road and bridge department and just for all these really essential service workers. And it's so meaningful on both sides. You know, it's like we all get so much out of it. And so I just, I really do feel like following that thread of like, what is the universe presenting me? Like, what's the opportunity today? And I have had that, like my mind and my brain have been trying to make a plan for lead with love. But the more, the most fun I have and the most, I think, honest and authentic thing I can do with this platform is to just sit with it and ask the spirit of lead with love, like, what can you do with me? Like, how can I serve this that, you know, was born out of out of me somehow, but it's like, I'm, I'm like bowing down to it and being like, what do you want me to do? What, what would what would be the, the, the thing that can serve the most people, including myself, you know, I don't want to deplete myself by running some giant organization that like, you know, I'm not, I might have three people right now, me and two others. So it's not, we're not there yet. But I, I just like, I have to check myself because it's, there's so many opportunities for growth. And then I can see myself wanting to like jump on every single one. Like, oh yeah, we should do this and this and this and this and this. And then I look at my life and I'm like, I'm like so busy and I don't want to be more, more, more busy. So I'm going to just grow a little bit slower and just impact the local community. And then if in 10 years, we're like doing things all over the world, great. Or in two years. I mean, we were, we were in Bali and that was so fun. We had Michael Franti there. That was the best. So I don't know. I mean, I think it is. It's just so much about following that energy and you have to ask. So like I ask, so how can I serve? Like, how can I be of service? So this is actually a topic that comes up pretty much in every episode. It's this subject of intuition versus strategy. And that mm. sounds like what we're getting to. You know, it's this universal surrender. Just use me. I don't know, you know, uh, just releasing all the thinking and the strategizing and the planning and the shoots and the goals and all the expectations and just guide me. I'm here, use me, work through me. But at the same time, just doing that, is that enough to really create a successful organization that's viable? So what's been your experience sort of tiptoeing between the two and finding that balance? Well, I really want to ask you that question, but I'm going to answer it really quickly first because I it's a it's a total combination, and I think that's such a you know just to almost call me out too in the sense of like it's so idealistic to just be like yeah create a vision board and like meditate and then it'll happen, and that's like I actually know a lot of people that do that, and I I like look and I go yeah and you have to freaking put your feet down and you know one step at a time like grind a little bit. So I think it's it's such a combination and, and it's like pulling back to get that wide view and then just like going in and just like, you know, tackling stuff and doing it. I'm really oriented toward the big view. I love like the visioning. And so I get stuck in that too many ideas and I need to find for me, it's like find someone that's that's their wheelhouse is that that detail oriented, just like get this stuff done. And so for me, it's like finding that right team. So I don't have to force myself into things that feel like really 
uh, uncomfortable, I do it. But like, I'm, I'm right now, like really trying to find the right team that we all are really living our gifts. So it's definitely a both question. How are you doing that? Finding How am I d- That's been something I'm consistently working on and, and really learning how to release every little detail and trust that Mm -hmm. someone else can really bring my vision into the world and stay aligned and stay true to like the spirit and the energy of what I'm creating. How, how do you do that? I think it's way more challenging than I thought. And I, and, and, and I've been taking more time with it now because of a few rounds of like learnings, let's say, I know for a fact it, it requires a clear vision from the founder slash director type person. That would be you or me in this situation. I need to get more clear so that I can really articulate that vision to somebody and they can be, you know, set up for success because in the past have not done that. And then I had sort of created a situation where I needed to be involved in every decision and it wasn't fun for me or it wasn't fun for them to feel like they had a sense of ownership and empowerment in their job. So we're really in that right now. And it's, it's, it's a learning process. We brought in, I think getting some consultants and that type of thing is helpful, but again, it's really expensive. And so we try to run our nonprofit, you know, lead with love is, is run on a very tight budget. And I think that's important. I think that creates those constraints that can lead to creativity. You know, if we were just like going to throw money at it, I think we might do okay, but we would just not be a very solid organization from the foundation. So I look for people that are problem solvers that have that natural passion. And I think, you know, in, for us, that might be a little bit more unique. A lot of the people, I think everybody who works with me and has, has started as a volunteer or gotten, you know, came to the event and was just like, oh my God, that changed my life. Like I have to work with you. And so that, that's kind of a cool thing as far as recruitment or enrollment is that we have this, like, not only the big event in the fall lead with love, but we do events all year long. And so we just see who like consistently shows up and it's really those people. And this is like such a key. It's like, what can I do for you versus that opposite energy? That's so common of like, what can you do for me Mm. as the potential like employee or team member? I mean, so often people will, will come and go like, here's what I need from you. And whether it's like, they're looking for a job, usually they just want to get involved and they want to use us because we have a platform to further their little deal, whether it's nutrition or coaching or whatever. And I am like such, I have like such a radar for that, where that energy is like, I see exactly what you're looking for. And I'm sorry, I can't do that right now because then I'll be taking my eye off what, what I need to be doing. So how do you say no in those situations? I usually say not right now. Thanks. And then I stop answering my emails, but it's <laughs> not very professional. I think it's like really standing for and getting much more stronger. Like this is who we are and this is our matrix for how we make decisions. Does it fit? If not, it's just like, you know, good luck. And, you know, here's an opportunity you can get involved by volunteering or, you know what, why don't you come to our event? And a lot of times like what happened with you um, is a good example. It's like, I didn't know who you were, but you showed up at our event and you really were an asset. Like you you were like, who is this breakfast chick? Who's this? breakfast chick I mean I don't even care about breakfast but okay yeah and then it's like this authentic like real enrollment of like I love what you're doing this is amazing and then this year we're like we want to have you come and speak like you came you you know what like you get it and so oftentimes when I mean we get hit by like hundreds of people want to be speakers and I go why don't you come and like you know, experience it and then see one, is it a fit for you? And two, like, let's get to know each other. So 
I think, yeah, it's really looking for those people that are selfless. Like there's another woman I just did a podcast with, Rosie Acosta from Radically Loved, amazing woman. And she just was like, I'm coming to your event. I'm so excited. Like, how can I help you? Can I put your code out there? And then after talking to her and seeing like, she's like a big deal. And I'm like, well, you should probably speak at our event. She's like, yeah, I mean, I'd love to, but it wasn't like, here's why you need me and I'm going to do this and Mm -hmm. you need to, I mean, I don't know. It was just like, it's organic and you can just feel these kind of people that are just like they are in that surrendered state they're like I see you Gina as someone that's like you're trying to help people and do a good thing in the world let me help you and then I do the same I'm like well gosh I see you as such an amazing miracle powerhouse like let me help you and it feels great and it doesn't feel like obligation because you feel that obligation of oh I need to do this or I should and it's just yucky energy and I don't want to be a part of it so it's like again like feeling into the body I'm like, I can feel it like instantly if it's like a yes or a no. Hmm. So I know we don't have a lot of time left. A few questions that I have have to do with some of my favorite topics personally. So the first one is in terms of how Leadwood Love went from a conversation in your head, in your living room, in your community to a global movement, sort of what were some of the learnings there and what role has technology and social media played in that? Ooh, well, lead with love really did start like as an impulse. It was like one of those things like where you just like, Whoa, okay. I was talking to a friend of mine and we, we were just sharing about our passion. And I was talking about wanting to do something for my 40th birthday that was a way to give back because I was feeling so amazingly grateful and full from learning these resources over the years. As I was sharing, I had this like really challenging, difficult period. And as I like got all this help from amazing teachers, it's like, I don't want to get a gift for my birthday. I wanted to be able to share what I had learned because it gave me that sense of freedom. And to me, freedom is like the ultimate. I just think, you know, that's what I'm about, finding that that space of freedom. And so the idea turned into a reality by just very humbly asking some of those teachers that had shifted my life if they would consider it. And because I think they saw how profoundly, you know, affected I was and how sincere I was, they all said yes. And being able to host that event the first year, it was really a celebration of life. It was like, I was just so happy to be where I was because I had been in such a like darker place. So that passion for like the practices that I had learned and wanting to share them was the impulse. And then figuring out how to do that is a whole nother story. I mean, we just flailed. Like I thought it would take one or two people to do it. And it took more than that. And then these volunteers came out of the woodwork and just like miraculously made it happen. And the same thing happened last year, actually. So, you know, I think I'm, I'm just learning so much. Like there's so many people I want to hire right now, like to make it really as excellent as I know I want it to be, but we don't really have that budget. So it's constantly this constraint of like, how can I utilize the people that I have and, and really motivate them to be super excited to work really, really, really hard. And, you know, hopefully we're going to grow into something that can support more and more people so that we can hire like each position that we'd actually want. But at the, you know, just like any startup, like you have to do a lot more than you might want to. So what needs to happen for it to be at that place where you can actually have the resources to hire all the people you want to hire and to really expand it to the next level? We need to sell tickets and we need to raise the ticket price. And, 
we need to stop giving everything away. Like I was so oriented, like when I, you know, entered this relationship and had, like I said, my needs met, like I just wanted to give everything away all the time. And actually the the truth is I think any business, any nonprofit even, like I want to run as a business. I wanted to have this sustainable kind of expenses and revenue. And we're just tightening everything up. And so we need to be able to sell more things that we give away for free, and including the the programs that we do in the workplace. So it's a lot around advocacy and 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 really getting people to invest in in the programs that we do. Now that we've proved the effectiveness, and you know we have a lot of uh, advocates within the organizations as well. But yeah, I think it's it's just a simple business model. It's like we have to start becoming a little bit more tighter around everything, and and that's mostly coming from me where I've been more generous because I could I could be. And it started as a gift. Like literally that first year, I invited all my friends. And so most of them paid like very little money to come because they didn't have it. And so then the next year, which was last year, we tried to flip from here's a party that Gina's throwing to like, here's an event that's about leadership and about, you know, connection and about heart. And it's worth investing in. It's not just like, you know, something that's being given away. And so that that shift is happening more and more. And we'll see what happens. I mean, honestly, we're trying our best. We're putting a ton of energy into it. And this is a pivotal year for us to see if we can shift that. And I think it it is a little bit challenging when something starts it for free. But I would say in the technology world, I mean, everybody I know, including you, probably it's like you give away your free webinars and then you sell things to them, which is like, all right, you know who I am. You know what I do. You love it. It's free. And then it's like now buy this bundle for $9.99. <laughs> and I don't know if there's another way, but I've certainly been thinking about that. It's like, wow, we have a an audience. Um, we've created something of value. Like what are the things that we can monetize from that that are, you know, certainly a value. Like I would never, like, I have no reason to do anything that's not like a hundred percent in integrity. Like I don't want to sell crap made in China, like, and no offense to China. It's like, I want to like a, a system where the merchandise that we have is supporting women that are building it in, you know, India or Pakistan. So that, that, that everything that we do is like this generative thing. And to do that, I need to get a lot more disciplined with my own spending and with my own, you know, organization. So in the beginning, you mentioned that you have a two-sided relationship with technology. What did you mean by that? Mm, I think my husband says this, he's a venture capitalist and he works with technology companies quite a bit, but he always says, and I don't know if he made it up or not, but that technology is neutral. It's really you know, how you choose to use it, whether it's like good or bad, because there's so many people out there demonizing technology. And especially when it's around like kids and technology and teenagers and I can get into that mode where I'm like, oh, it's so evil and we're not connecting anymore. And then I realize like you and I are connecting over technology right now. And it's a like really awesome to have that conversation. I have friends all over the world that I wouldn't have without technology. I know what's happening in my own family because of technology, because they post stuff on Facebook all the time. So it's really about creating boundaries and discipline. So I have that two-sided relationship where I get a lot of joy out of like scrolling Instagram. And yet I do it at night oftentimes, like when I should be, and I say should, like I know better, like the, the phone should be gone and off and not near my bed. But oftentimes it's like this guilty pleasure of like scrolling through at night. And I'm like, so I don't know what the word, I don't like kind of vata where I'm like, I'm very spontaneous. I'm, I have a lot of energy. And for me to sit at my desk all day is like really hard to get work done. 
And especially living in Aspen, as you can imagine, like right now I'm looking out my window at like these beautiful mountains and blue sky. And like, I mean, there's a trail right behind my house and like all I want to do always is just run around outside. But and so often I like want to go and play all day and eat a lot of yummy food like you do, like make yummy things takes a lot of time. And then like, I'll get motivated and all like super, super creative at night, like late at night. So I want to be like on my computer all night long, but I am also <laughs> married and I'm married to a guy who likes to go to bed at 10 PM and he wants to like bop up at like six, seven in the morning. I want to stay up all night long and like create amazing things or not. I don't know what, whatever. And then like just sleep and be like dead the next day. That's what I would do. So it's just like, it's always a struggle. Like it's a struggle for me to, to just like be in relationship with, with technology, but it's really like my relationship with myself. Like what are the, the choices I'm going to make to be healthy and whole and is staying up all night on the computer really going to serve me and is scrolling Instagram in the bathtub every night, like really a good idea. Not really. Yeah. I think that I'm in that phase right now of like my teacher, Rod Stryker, he says, you know, there's two kinds of pain in life. And it's like the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. And I think about that all the time, because the pain of discipline is like, put your phone down and like, just, you know, go to sleep and then wake up early and feel good. Or the pain of regret where I'm like, I just stayed up till like three in the morning, because my husband's out of town. And now I feel like really bad. And I can't get anything done anyway. I totally you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, right, we know we know the stuff. And I think what you're doing is so amazing, because you are such a like maven media maven. Like I don't even do my own, you know, Instagram or my own. My, I do mine, but not leave with love. It's just a lot of work. I mean, to do it and to do it well, and, and then to have a life that's outside of that, where you feel like you're not just like, reporting on or, or sharing the moments to other people, but you're like, living the moments. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I totally have the same moments as you just described. Last night, I, I stayed. We led a workshop at Rama Institute here in New York. And then we took eight hours to work from the assemblage, my co-working space. And we launched our first product for Crystal Criminals. And and then we came home at like midnight and we stayed up on, on Instagram <laughs> for like another two hours. Wow. And you know, that definitely wasn't something that served my body in the moment. But I was just so mentally stimulated and that felt like the right thing to do. And so, you know, maybe once a week or twice a week, I have a night like that and, and being mm. okay with that. But generally, my personal rule that has really empowered me is before I pick up my phone, I just ask myself, what is my intention? You know, am I going to check something specific? Am I going to look for inspiration for 15 minutes? And just ask myself, is this choice going to empower me? Mm. That's such a me? great question. Is this choice can empower me? I mean, I think that can change everything. It's like this idea of inquiry. Like if I ask, how can I lead with love or am I leading with love? It's just having that awareness that changes our, our consciousness. And, and, and I think it raises the level of consciousness. And I think that the only way that we're going to move from the kind of society that we see now into something that's a little bit more aligned with our values. And I only can say are because I really, you know, get that I think you and I are in the same realm of wanting to spread like inspiration, love, kindness through these platforms. It's like we have to raise consciousness and how you do that is through mindfulness. And so none of this stuff is things that we don't know or any of your listeners don't know, probably if they're tuning in, it's like you've heard it before from a zillion other teachers, but maybe something touches you 
from this talk versus, you know, the other things that you've heard before, you know, having a daily practice, asking those questions so that you're deliberate in your actions. It's not just these rote things of just like becoming mechanical. And the, the, the things in your brain from a neurological perspective that light up the little uh, like hormones and things with a, a phone and being on Facebook or Instagram are the same areas in your brain that light up with cocaine. So the addictive behavior patterns are real. It's not just this thing that parents are like, oh, my God, my kid. Like they are addicted. We are addicted. I, I feel it when I separate from my devices and I'm not even like that connected. But um I think we're going to do a lead with love digital detox. And I think you should come. Sign I think we up. just, yeah, we, we want to be human before we're, you know, pretending to be whatever we are online. And I think, you know, what's great about what you do is it's kind of boring into that idea that people are pretending to be anything like you and other people, I think like you are, are being authentic where it's not always just a highlight reel. And I think that's really helpful because mm. that's where a lot of the comparison comes in and the real, tragic things that we see through social media and things like that, where people are literally killing themselves because they don't get liked or they don't get invited places. We need to build that resilience, you know, and people that they have a little bit stronger sense of self. And again, and like, like you said, the social media is neutral, right? Technology is neutral. So whatever comparison comes up, whatever judgment comes up, that's just a human thing. And that's normal. Yeah. No, I mean, the platforms are neutral in that sense, but it, it does get into this thing where like with marketing and things like that, there there are specific things that are are designed to be addicting. I mean, to say that the, the developers of these apps aren't trying to gamify and make it something that is very addicting is, you know, that is true. And so we have to be as sophisticated as they are with our own well-being mm -hmm. and have, you know, be an advocate for ourselves and realize, gosh, I'm like having way too much fun with this right now. And I'm going to just stop. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. Yes. Okay. So leading up to my final question, there's so much more I could talk to you about. This is fascinating, but I'm just going to pack this last question with all the things that I want to talk to you about. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. So a little bit ago, you mentioned how a lot of us tend to live our lives being ruled by external references, right? different things. Oh, once I have this, I'll be happy. Once this is achieved, everything will be great. But then that doesn't really give us the sense of being whole and complete. So, you know, with you, someone might look at your life. You live in Aspen, you're hanging out with Deepak and Marianne Williamson speaks at your events. And then you're hanging out with Richard Branson. And then someone, I'm sure, whoever takes the time to actually listen to the podcast to get the idea of how much work and intention and labor and trust goes into the work, that gives them a completely different insight into what your life looks like. But what I'm curious about is what's the most exciting in terms of Lead with Love for you that's coming up and something in the context of, you know, feeling taking a step away from the to-do list and the actions and the things that you think will take your organization to the next level and moving in, into that space of ease and surrender and peace and trust, you know, speaking from that place, what excites you and lights you up the most about the work you're doing with Lead with Love right now? Well, I mean, there's a lot there. And I think the thing that excites me the most is the learning that's happening on the inside so when you come to lead with love or you see what we're putting out in the world, it is a sort of a projection of what is going on with me internally and with my team. And we've had a lot of growing pains, you know, and it hasn't been like we're like this model organization at all. 
And so, sometimes that's embarrassing to me to be like, oh, we're lead with love, but our people are super stressed out and they're like crying, you know, like mm-hmm. when we're coming to the days before the event or even like throughout the year, just trying to meet everybody's needs and kind of finding that balance. So what excites me the most is just that this it's a process like we are on this journey. And I think that having nothing to hide in a sense of like there's some like decisions I've made that I'm not like super proud of necessarily, but I'm happy to talk about them because there's learning there. So I want to always live life in that way where no matter what I end up doing, if it continues to be this bigger event or if it's lots of little ones or if it's nothing, it's like everything I'm doing is about learning and growing for myself personally and sharing those stories and letting other people share stories about learning and growing so that we do feel connected as a community, you know, whether it's your listeners or, you know, followers and all these other people that are kind of like, we believe in a different world than what we see with our eyes. We believe in a world where people feel more connected, more seen, more heard, more connected spiritually to something bigger than themselves. So they don't get knocked off balance so easily from like a little upset or even a big, you know, losing the job, losing a child, losing a spouse. I mean, there's so much stuff that happens every day that we want to build resilience. You know, we want to build community around sharing experiences, being authentic, being vulnerable, understanding we're not in it alone. And so I'm just, I'm so excited about the opportunity to learn and grow every single day. And we are faced with challenges every day in what we do. And it's a lot of overwhelm. And and in some ways, like I said, a victim of our own success, because we have so much information coming at us, so many people that want, you know, basically to be part of our organization when we don't have a place for them. And being very sort of careful with where we're spending our time and energy. And it's hard, because there's a lot of opportunities. So I think when you come to Lead with Love in the fall, you know, you're going to see this this evolution of us as an organization because we're focused more on business, we're focused more on leadership. We still have the yoga and meditation, but using that as just, you know, another tool to say, okay, we want to be embodied, but let's also really have this conversation here about what it means to lead with love. So people that are there are going to help us understand what that means and then help us build the organization to support that. And I don't know if that makes sense. It's just, it's such a mirror for me. What we do as an organization is our experience. It's like where we're at right now. And I'm excited about Lynn Twist, who's a best-selling author and really has a different look at finances and money. Mm-hmm. So I'm really interested in that because, you know, we're running a nonprofit and we want to do things in a way that are is sustainable and not just be like begging for money all the time or anything like that. So she's a a presenter I'm really excited about. John Mackey, I'm super excited about. He's been a pioneer in sort of this conscious capitalism since the 70s. Bob Chapman, who's an amazing guy who has um, a platform called Truly Human Leadership. You know, these are people that are walking the talk. And so by bringing them all together and including us in that journey, I mean, there's so much learning and camaraderie and growth and opportunity in that convening that we're holding at the end of October. But then it's like, it's happening every single day, you know, as we lead up to it. And then after like, what do we do now? So I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the journey. (laughs) Wow, what an amazing lineup. I'm going to be looking everyone you mentioned up beforehand, especially the finance book, because that's the topic I'm super curious about myself. And Mm -hmm. I'm so excited to come back to Aspen and fall and talk about conscious technology, conscious social media, entrepreneurship, all these things. And Gina, I'm just so honored to be in the position of being able to 
be in the work that you've created, support it, be in the conversation. And guys, if any of this speaks to you, get your ticket while they still are out there and join us in Aspen in October 2018. Or if you listen to this later, then look it up, look look up the next event, wherever that is. Thank you so much, Gina. You are so welcome. And it's such a pleasure. And I just want to put in our hashtag and our our handle is I lead with love. And I I like that because it's like a statement. And so I think for you and your listeners, just kind of tagging that stuff and starting this conversation about like, how are you leading with love today? And having that conversation roam throughout the world of the internet is, is something that we're eager to, to start and to see where that conversation goes. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends, leave a review and find all the show notes on wokeandwired.com and connect with me on Instagram at wokeandwired. Stay woke, stay wired and have an incredible day.